Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Hark the herald angels sing. You know, as we think about Christmas and think about all the Christmas songs, Christmas hymns, thinking about this one. It's actually written by Charles Wesley, 1700s. I think we got a picture of our friend Charles Wesley. He was um, the 18th son, 18th child of his parents along with his older brother John. Maybe you've heard of John Wesley. John and Charles, they together formed, ended up forming the Methodist Church. This song, like many songs, has gone through a number of different, you know, uh, I want to say renovations, but different adjustments and edits. And uh, George Whitfield made a few of them. You know, Charles, Charles actually started what was the Holy Clubs that later his older brother John joined and took the leadership for. They were kind of criticized and called the sectarians and the Holy Club turned into be the Methodist Church, which I think they have about 80 million people worldwide now, so you can't, can't ignore that. When I was growing up in Minnesota, I went to the Lutheran Church. I don't remember what it was, LCA or one of those ELCA, I don't know. Across the street was the Methodist Church. And so that was my little bit of experience with the Methodist Church. But you know, that song comes out of Luke chapter 2. And so we'll just go through Luke 2 and we'll see where that song came from. A lot of these songs are come from the Psalms or other ones, but this was in Luke. Luke 2 verse 8, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. Same region, that would be Bethlehem, you know, that area. Shepherds were not considered, you know, the, the influencers, the high society, the rich and the influential, but they were more on the, on the lower end of the, the social economic uh, spectrum. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, I don't think this is a fear of... Fear of failure, fear of economic fear. Sometimes you get fear of disease, and there's some people that are just afraid all the time. This was a fear because what it says is the glory of the Lord shone around them. It was that fear of, of God, you are real, that fear of I'm just trembling, that fear of I don't know what's going to happen, but I like it. It's a holiness. It's a, it wasn't one of those visitations of angels where sometimes angels... You know, and we sing, hark the herald angels, messenger angels, not warrior angels, not demonic fallen angels. And, and I don't think it was like some of these angels that sometimes appear and Hebrews tells us to do good and to practice hospitality because some unawares have hosted angels. This was not one of those angelic visitations of like a secret angel angel kind of comes in and you didn't know and later you realize that might have been no this there was no doubt this was the glory of the Lord verse 10 the angel said to them fear not for behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people 
And this is a messenger angel that's declaring something that already happened, making a declaration. The gospel is good news. It's not like, try to do your best and then maybe God will accept you. That's what a lot of religions and religiosity will tell you. If you do these six steps, if you follow this program, if you go to this certain city, you do this certain spiritual discipline, you need to do this and then God will accept you. But this is a declaration. It's a good news. And then verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You shall find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly, I like this suddenly, it's like there was so much joy up in heaven and just one angel wasn't enough. Suddenly with the angel was a multitude of the heavenly host praying and praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem. Let us see this thing which has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, that's another suddenly, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and all they had seen as it had been told them. You know, in this story, there'd be many, there'd be so many different opportunities that we could just kind of reject Jesus. You know, he was a baby. Well, we thought there was going to be a king coming that he'd ride in with power and majesty and might and just this great king. Born in Bethlehem, this little town outside of Jerusalem. Born in a manger. Now, I grew up on a dairy farm. And when we talk about a manger, that's where you put the hay that you would, the cows would put their mouths in there. And, and the, to think that they laid the king of glory in a place where the cows were eating. It's like, what? Yeah. And then, and then also his, you know, his parents, you know, they kind of question him later. Aren't you illegitimate? You know, yeah, right, Mary. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there could have been ways of different opportunities in that time, I think, as well as in our time. But the good news, and just a few key thoughts, the good news, first of all, there's a Savior. Now, if we think that we're pretty good and we don't need a Savior because we do good enough, a lot of times people say, well, why, why do I need a Savior? Well, I think we have to let God define us, and we have to let God define even sin. And when we see God's definition of sin, you know, one thing I like to do when I'm sharing the gospel with people, to show them their need for a Savior so that they will appreciate the Savior who came. What I like to do, now this isn't the only way you, can, you have to do it my way, this, this is just what I like to do. I like to go through the Ten Commandments with people. And when we see... You know, have no other gods before me, make, don't make for yourself an idol, don't use the name of the Lord your God in vain, honor the Sabbath to keep it holy, honor your parents, which is my children's favorite Bible verse, which I always told them this is your favorite Bible verse. And now that I'm a grandfather, I tell my grandchildren, here's your favorite Bible verse. Children, obey your parents and your grandparents. 
course, my kids get mad at me for doing that and projecting onto it. Anyway, you got it. Don't murder. But when Jesus said, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. If you hate someone, if you call somebody a fool, an idiot, you're, you'll be guilty. When don't commit adultery, Jesus said, if you look at a woman lustfully, don't steal. Doesn't matter the amount. Don't take something that belongs to somebody else. Don't bear false witness. Don't lie. Don't covet. And even when I mention them quickly, as I have here, you can feel the weight of our sin. And then you realize we do need a Savior. We do need a Savior. Society needs a Savior. Now, I know here in the U.S. and over the next year, I mean, the political process is already coming and started. And, and, and there's been, you know, who's going to save us? You know, I even remember back in the, I'll date myself, back in the 80s. So this election, this is going to determine the future of civilization. And then four years later, this election is going to determine our candidate has to win, is going to determine. And, and after you hear that every four years after, you realize that, no, we need a Savior bigger than what humanity itself can provide. The good news is that there is a Savior. He was born 2,000 years ago. His name is Jesus there is born unto you a Savior who is Christ. That Christ, that's the Messiah. That's the one that had been promised. The one that had been promised even from Genesis chapter 3. Even when sin entered the world, there was a promise. There is coming one. Even when God the Father in the, in the Garden of Eden, mankind, Adam and Eve, they tried to make fig leaves to cover themselves up. And we've been trying to do the same thing, covering ourselves up with our own righteousness. God provided skins, animal skins, which would be a foreshadowing towards the Lamb of God that would come, that would take away the sin of the world. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament pointing to a Messiah, a Christ. There was a promise that was made. Now, I know that the people of Israel, and, and I think we ourselves, were looking for some kind of Christ that's going to solve all our external problems. He's going to provide for me on my terms... And he's going to heal me and he's going to make me live a happy life and he will be my Christ, my Messiah. But no, God is the one who defines sin. God is the one who defines even the redemption from sin. God is the, the one who defines the one who will save us from sin. He is Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, the prophesied one. And the good news is he was born and not just a Savior, not just a Christ, but then it says... The Lord, the highest authority. And so he's going to come and he's going he's to even cause conflict with those things that are not aligned with the Father, aligned with the Lordship, the authority. There's a word. We don't like that. Who has authority? Who has authority to define us? Can I define myself? If I feel like this, I'll be like this. I define. We have to let God define ourselves. And Jesus later, he would say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do what I say? Many will come to me on that day, Jesus said. And they'll say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we come to church on Christmas Eve? Didn't we do many mighty things, sing in the choir? We cast out demons, we healed the sick. And then he said, I'm going to tell them on that day, depart from me because I never knew you. 
And people who hear God's word, they hear God's word, but they don't act accordingly. They're like those people that build their, their house, their life upon the sand. The floods come, the rains, the wind, all the disasters, which they will come. We heard a little bit about Clarksville. In our personal lives, there will be difficult moments. And when those moments come, they will reveal how we have built our life if we have allowed Jesus to not just be the Savior, just then save me on my terms so I can have a happy life. Be my Messiah, my personal Christ, that you would be my, but let him be our Lord, that we would hear his word, that we would act accordingly. Are those who build their house upon the rock, their life upon the rock. The floods come, the winds, all that, and it stays strong. That's the kind of life that I want to have. And I think that you do too if you're coming here on a Wednesday. Those who are watching online as well, I think that's the kind of life that you want to have. That's the good news, a proclamation. Now let's look at the reaction of the shepherds just for a minute. One of the things that I picked out of this as I meditated on this, this passage here is they really believed before they saw because if you look at it the shepherds said to one another let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened they didn't say let's go and see if it's true they said let's go over and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us you know the world will say if I see it I'll believe it that's like Thomas. After the resurrection, Thomas wasn't there. He didn't see it. He heard about it. He said, if I see it, I'll believe. And then Jesus comes to him and he says, Thomas, Thomas, put your hand here on my side. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You believe now? Do you really believe? You're blessed. But more blessed are those who believe without having seen. And see, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's that believing before I see. The world says, if I see it, I'll believe it. God says, if you believe it, you'll see it. Just like if you look at the, the famous hall of fame of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, how many of them? Noah prepared an ark, having been warned about the things Thank you for that. There we go. Noah prepared an ark for his family. There are certain things we have to do without seeing. Just a word from God and then we go and we go move by faith. Hopefully even during this Christmas time we can move by faith in what we're doing. And then it says they went in haste to see Jesus. That's kind of like God sends one and then it says suddenly, all of a sudden. And it's interesting, this is in the book of Luke, because the book of Mark is full of uh, immediately, immediately, immediately. But this one, it's got two of them right in a row. God immediately, just like suddenly. And then the shepherds went in haste. Now, who did they leave those sheep with? Now, sheep are not known to be super intelligent and super obedient, and they just always kind of stayed, you know, they just, they just get out and... But there's something about it when you have a word from God. Now, in our case, it's probably not going to be this big visitation of angels with all the glory and our knees are trembling because we're so fearful. But when there's that little nudging of the Holy Spirit, when you see something, can you move in haste? 
I think of the woman at the well when Jesus said, go call your husband. You remember the story, John chapter 4? I don't have a husband. Yeah, you're right. You've had five. The one you have now is not your husband. And then, and then the living water, if you believe in me, living water. What it says there, little detail, the woman had gone to the well. Why do you go to a well? You go to a well to get water. She went back into the city. She left her water jar there. She had something more important. The disciples, when Jesus comes to them, they're fishing, they're mending their nets, and they're cleaning their nets, and Jesus looks at them right in the eye. There had to be something that, just that eye contact, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And then Jesus, I can see him, just kind of goes walking. Because you cannot tell somebody to follow you unless you're going somewhere. Follow me. And what does it say? They left their nets. They left their father. There's something about those shepherds that they went in haste to see Jesus. Something that that rich young ruler was not able to do when Jesus said, Jesus said, go sell everything you have and come follow me. And he just kind of hung his head down. You know, Jesus didn't change the price for him. Just give 50% down and 10% for the next three months and then we'll be a you know, balloon payment at the end. He didn't say that. Jesus just kept on walking. When Jesus comes to Matthew, Matthew, follow me. And then Jesus walks. Matthew left his... Now, I'm not saying you've got to leave your job and everything like that, but there's something about prioritizing the eternal. And there's moments where we just leave the leave these things, you know, I'm not saying to be negligent, I'm not saying to be irresponsible, but there's something about a greater responsibility of going to find Jesus, going to be involved with what God is doing in our generation, in our, even in our community. These shepherds, they went in haste. And it says they found Jesus. Now, I don't know exactly how long it took them. Bethlehem's, you know, probably not a mega city at that time and it doesn't say you know go down this street this address and you'll see him it just says he's in Bethlehem go find him and they did they found him I mentioned Hebrews eleven six. without faith it's impossible to please God well those who come to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently, one of the translations says, diligently seek him. Those who don't just give up so easy. They found Jesus. They didn't, they didn't just go to, is there a baby here? First house, is there a baby here? No, no baby. I guess we'll go back to our sheep. They went until they found Jesus. I would hope that we would be able to spend time with the Lord and in his presence, whether it's in worship, whether it's in reading his word, spend time finding Jesus. If you seek for me, you'll find me, the Lord says. Those who seek and keep seeking, present, continuous. Those who knock and keep knocking. Not just one time, but they keep knocking. Those who ask and keep asking, they will find him. And then it says that the shepherds, they, after they saw the baby, they saw Joseph and Mary, then they went back and it says they glorified God. Praising him. And I think, I think during this time of, of uh, Christmas, you know, you can get in kind of a rut. There's this temptation, this depression temptation. 
And you can come up into this almost like I'm right next to this. Sometimes people freak out. They see Pastor James go like this. And I don't know how close I can go. But you get into this temptation where the temptation to be depressed is. And you've got to pull back. And part of the pulling back is you pull back from falling into the depression. And you start to praise the Lord. Reminds me of the time that I was in Costa Rica and I had a car stolen. Stolen. And I, and, and I felt that temptation to go into this depression. But I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I, it's the grace of God. Somebody praying for us. I, don't, I just don't know. But I, I could feel the temptation, like a temptation to just be depressed because they, they had stolen my car. And I, I kind of go into the police station and reporting it, filling all the paperwork and all that. And I just kind of said in my heart, I said... I said, devil, you can take my car, but you can't take the joy. And so as we're going back home, I have to tell my wife, she didn't believe me. But as we're going back home, I'm talking to the taxi driver and I'm sharing the gospel with the taxi driver. I'm just going to overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of my testimony. And that time of, of Christmas, you can say, well, I wonder if I'm going to get what I really want for myself I wonder if our Christmas celebration is going to be perfect. And then you pressure the celebration to be so perfect that your pressuring of it makes it so tense that it's just, it's not. So just relax a little bit. Praise the Lord. Let him be glorified. They went back. They glorified God. I don't know if all their sheep were still there or not. I don't know. But they had something much greater and they glorified God for that. And I believe that they told others the good news as well. They told others. And during this Christmas time, like what Pastor Dave said, it's a good time to invite people. People in America, if somebody they know invites them to church, a lot of people will come. You know, if you don't invite anybody, you have a 100% chance that nobody will come. So you might as well just try. And you might see somebody come to church. And so we can tell other people about Jesus as well. It's a great, hey, do you know Christmas time? Do you know what's really, you can share that. Let's go back to the song. Hark the herald, angels sing. Herald angels, messenger angels, I mentioned, different from warrior angels, fallen angels. I think we're called in a sense to be messengers of the gospel. Glory to the newborn king. Those Herods, those messengers, they would go into a town maybe with their trumpet and their scroll and they would, they would declare the victory of a king or they would declare the king's son had been born. It was news of a past event. The gospel is a past event of our Christ. It's a present condition that we are forgiven. The gospel is the proclamation of a future hope. Peace on earth and mercy mild. Peace with God and the peace of God. Jesus said there would be wars and rumors of wars. We're seeing that today, whether it's Israel, Ukraine, other places as well, Pakistan, Taiwan, rumors, the Sahel, Ethiopia, Congo, so many other places, rival cartels in Mexico. We need peace. We need Jesus. Romans 5 says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. If we're justified by works, we'll have frustration, we'll have anxiety. Peace with God, 
Philippians talks about the peace of God. Be anxious for nothing. Let your prayer requests be made known unto God with thanksgiving and supplication. And then the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then Ephesians talks about that Jesus is our peace. He's broken down the dividing wall, the hostility between different, whether it's in that case it was the Jews and the, and the Gentiles. With us it can be with different. We need the Prince of Peace. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Jesus' purpose was to be, was to reconcile God and man and he makes us ministers of reconciliation. Joyful all you nations rise. That's good news. You know, when Charles Wesley came to the Americas in 1735, 40 years before what we call the Revolutionary War, there could have been dozens, if not hundreds, of different tribes, different nations. Or if you look in about 1738, when the Wesley brothers had their religious experiences, and then 1739, maybe this song was written. Europe in 1740, I think we've got a map of that as well. Some of these nations, because some of them we recognize, Portugal and Spain, France. Some of them have changed drastically. Ottoman Empire up there, Russian Empire, that's gone through. Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. And you can see the Holy Roman Empire up there, the Dutch Republic, Naples, and different states, nations that we don't recognize right now. I don't see Germany up there. But you see over the years, nations, they come and they go. And why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot in vain? Why do the kings set themselves up against the Lord, against his anointed, against his Messiah? And he who sits in the heavens laughs. And then Ask of me and I'll give you the nations. It's incredible, our Jesus, that he conquers his enemies by dying for them. That those nations that were rebellious, those nations that would try to put themselves up and offer a solution. Look at this great empire. This, for the glory of my majesty, Nebuchadnezzar said, look at this great empire that I have built for my glory. And God says, you're going to be like a cow for about seven years until you get a little bit more humility in you. God has a way of doing that. Let, what does it say here, the song? Joyful, all ye nations, rise. You know, the 1740s in the Americas, that would be the, the height of the Great Awakening where there would be revivals, George Whitfield and others preaching the gospel, cutting across denominational lines, the awakening spread throughout rural areas and towns and all regions. During the peak of the revival in the 1740s, about the time that this hymn was written, Churches grew daily in New England. 25 to 50,000 people joined churches out of a population of 30,000, with three out of four colonists likely affected. That's what we need, whether it's a second awakening, third awakening. We need an awakening. We let, let the nations, all the nations, joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies with angelic host proclaim. We're called to worship. You know, I can't say that I've seen, you know, angelic visitations like some other people. But I do think there's moments where there's angels worshiping with us. That's where we worship the Lord. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. 
Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. That's the incarnation, the mystery that God would become a man. 100% God, 100% man. Jesus, born from heaven and from earth, reminds me of Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born. 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophecy given to us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The song, the... the Christmas, Hark the Herald, goes back to hail the Son of Righteousness. That would be a reference to Malachi. The Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. 400 years before the coming of the Messiah. Light and life to all he brings. Jesus is the light of the world. All who believe in him, even though they die, yet shall they live. Risen with healings in his wings. We can believe for healing. Mild he lay his glory by. I think that's a, that would be a reference to Philippians 2. Jesus, being in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, emptying himself, becoming a servant, obedient, even obedient unto the point of death. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Jesus, the resurrection and the life, all who believe in him. Though he die, yet shall he live. Born to raise the sons of earth. And may he raise us during this time. May he raise us as a city set on a hill. May he raise us to bring light to those around us. Even in this time of uncertainty, even this time of the commercialization of of, of Christmas, may we rise above that. May we rise above the unrealistic expectation that everything has to be perfect. May He cause us to rise above the negative memories of how Christmas, there's a disappointment in the past. Even though we are in this world, may we wait upon the Lord and renew our strength. May we wait upon the Lord and help have Him to make us to, to raise the sons of earth, mounting up with wings like eagles, to run and not be weary, to walk and not faint. The song goes on, born to give them second birth. That would be a reference to John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, the conversation, unless you're born again, you shall not see, shall not enter the kingdom of, of God. I want to ask our... our Worship team to come up again. We're going to sing that again, so just get ready for that. But on this one, born to give them second birth. If you haven't been born again, maybe you're even watching online and you haven't been born again, you don't know that if you died right now where you would spend eternity. Now is a time where you can be born again, born of the Spirit like when I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I'd gone to church. I mentioned that we'd gone to the Lutheran church. I'd be in church every week. Saturday nights, Friday nights would be just a whole nother lifestyle. I was on the broad road that leads to destruction. It wasn't until I saw some true followers of Jesus that I asked Jesus to come into my life. I was about 18 years old. My prayer was one word, yes. 
that yes was, yes, come into my life. Yes, forgive me. Make me into a new person. It was, yes, I'm going to follow you all the days of my... In one word, that was my prayer. You can pray unto the Lord. You can say, Lord, come into my life. Make me a new person. And you'll be born again. You'll go from death into life. You'll go from darkness into light. And like Jesus was born in that manger, he'll be born in a sense in your heart, forgiving you of the past, giving you a new direction. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new person. The old has gone. The new has come. So why don't we do this? Let's, if you're here in the sanctuary, let's stand up. We're going to sing that song again. Pastor Dave in a few minutes or Pastor James, one of you is going to come up and close us. But let's just sing that. If you need to pray, I pray a one word prayer. You just talk to God and say, God, come into my life. But let's all worship the Lord.